The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Tonight on Passion, we focus on addictions. Once a month, that's what we uh, we center around, addictions. And tonight it'll be about all different kinds of addictions, seeing as that it is the beginning of a new year, usually New Year's resolutions around this time to kick a bad habit or to kick an addiction, whether it be smoking, drinking, drugs, even sex addiction. Uh, coming up after 10.15, uh, Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger, the director of Chabad Lifeline, which is an addiction center, uh, in Montreal, will join us uh, and we'll talk about all uh, all different kinds of addictions, the impact on the individual, on the family, on the couple, etc. But first, time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. Remember that you can always send in uh, your question by email, laurie at drlaurie.com, as I got this one. Hi, I'm a healthy young male who has a generally good sex life. Trouble is, 80% of the times I only get erections when my bladder is full or if I have not cleared my bowels. Constipation strangely increases my sexual desire and also makes it much easier for me to get erections. Constipation, this is in brackets, can make me feel cranky otherwise and is not too positive overall. I get erections that are rock hard though. However, I'm a bit worried that I have to keep my bladder half full to facilitate an erection. I ejaculate normally and do not seem to have mental blocks otherwise. I know about the pee hard on in men, but does a full bladder increase sexual desire in women? Does having a a constipation increase arousal in women and men how how to, do i get an erection easily on an empty bladder or empty bowels i have to say it's the first time i get a question like this most questions i've received hundreds if not thousands of times most questions this one haven't heard too much about usually when we talk about constipation, for example, or some kind of gut issue, uh, it gets in the way of desire. It doesn't generally increase desire because constipation usually comes with uh, discomfort. And when you're uncomfortable, you don't really have that uh, desire uh, for sex. So there's that. However, if you think about uh, nocturnal erections, why that happens? Why do men wake up with erections? So what ends up happening is there's a nerve, the, the sacral nerve. There's a nerve in the, in the region, and the, when you have a full bladder, it can stimulate that nerve. But this usually happens during uh, REM sleep. Uh, which results in those uh, in those harder erections. When you're in that deep sleep, the REM sleep, your body is in actually in a in repair mode. So what ends up happening is that there's extra blood flow to the penis to increase the oxygenation of the blood, which that's what the repair is all about. A full bladder during a wakeful state doesn't generally cause erections on its own unless there are more stimulants or more stimulation. So I don't know if this is a kind of fetish for you, if you get aroused at the thought of having a full bladder, like there's something else that may, may be going on there. Um, 
but generally, if you're asking about women, women who are constipated can make intercourse actually painful and and uncomfortable. Uh, the other thing I want to address is you ask, like, how do I get an erection easily on an empty bladder, empty bowels? Why are you not getting erections easily to begin with would be the question. I would want to look into why you're having trouble. What are your expectations in terms of your uh, erections? Are you counting on or, or have gotten so used to having that full bladder that now you're worried that without a full bladder or full bowel or what have you that you won't get the erection? So I'd want to dig a little deeper in terms of that. Having said that, there is a, a rare, I don't say condition, but a rare occurrence. It is documented and it's called defecation-induced orgasms. Basically, what happens is there is that pelvic nerve, like I said, that also touches the rectum and uh, the bladder. So when the rectum is full, it might be pressing on that pelvic nerve. And there is uh, documented cases of people, once they go to the bathroom, once they have a bowel movement, can also have an orgasm with that. Uh, another um, explanation for that is something called the uh, nerve crosstalk, meaning that there's uh, the orgasm comes from the stimulation of all the nearby parts. Everything is all connected in the pelvic floor, uh, touching other nerves. So there's nerves talking to other nerves and all the surrounding nerves that could potentially induce that. But in terms of uh, increasing um, desire, that I, I haven't heard. So the only thing in terms of, of women that I have heard about or that has been documented and I've read about is this defecation-induced uh, orgasm. And for some people, there's even uh, urination-induced uh, orgasms too. So uh, that whole area... The whole pelvic region could be affected and it's hard to say why one person feels a certain way rather than another because, first of all, we're all built a little bit differently and it's mysterious. Sexuality is one of those things that sometimes are is just a little bit mysterious. So, um, But again, in this situation, I would really look into the why you're having trouble having just a regular erection with regular stimulation or with fantasy or what happens during masturbation, what happens when your partner stimulates you, etc. So I'd have many more questions to look at before determining what is actually uh, going on. But interesting question, interesting question. Made me, uh, made me think for a while, that one. Uh, hello, Dr. Laura. I'm kind of asking a lame question about porn actors spitting on each other on penises, vaginas, butts, boobs, mouth to mouth, and sticking fingers in any hole, going hole to hole and back, putting penises in butts, then vaginas, then back, putting fingers in mouths and back to vaginas. To me, that looks like a totally unsafe sexual practice. When I see porn actors start spitting, I start wincing because it looks... It looks sick, and they go way overboard. I know they edit the videos, but I hope you can shed some light on uh, this topic. So exactly, by the way, they do edit the videos, and you just gave the perfect example why we should not learn about sex <laughs> through uh, pornography. You're right. These are unsafe 
practices. You cannot go from anus to vagina, whether it's with a penis, finger, or toy, ever without washing in between uh, because of the uh, bacteria that you're going to uh, transmit. So it's not so much the spit that is the problem, but the anal fluid, uh, which you don't want in your mouth or the vagina uh, or anything that's been in there. Uh, going it, going into other orifices. So that would be a problem, and you're absolutely right. Quite unsafe. Uh, coming up, uh, our discussion with Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger. We're going to be talking about addictions, and if you've suffered from an addiction in the past, what has helped you, whatever it be, drinking, smoking, drugs, sex addiction, uh, let's help each other out here tonight on the program that's coming up. Your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Before I get into tonight's topic of addiction, I just want to share a text that I just got in relation to what I was talking about. I am female, and when I was young, I used to get pleasure by contracting to stop peeing while on the toilet, but I believe that is unhealthy to keep starting and stopping urinating. You're absolutely right. It's not a healthy thing to do. You need to let the flow of urine out. However, what you did was discover your Kegel muscle or your Kegel exercises. That's exactly how you do uh, a Kegel exercises, and and strengthening that pelvic floor could actually improve your orgasmic ability. So you discovered something in all of that as well. All right, January 1st, that is the beginning of a new year, and a new year often means New Year's resolutions. Don't ask me, do they work, do they not work? I don't know. All I know is that there are more people at the gym, and there are probably more people in AA and more people uh, going to get help for their addictions. So we're talking about addictions tonight, all kinds, whether it be uh, drinking, drugs, sex addiction, maybe you want to kick your smoking habit, overeating, whatever it is, um, and you've made a resolution to do better in the new year. Let's talk about these addictions and, and let us know what you are willing to try, what you want to, uh, what what has worked for you possibly, and, and how you maintain sobriety in any of those uh, addictions. Uh, Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger is here with us. He is the director of Chabad Lifeline, an addiction center that's open to the Montreal community that offers counseling, uh, group work uh, on an outpatient basis. So it's not a, a rehab center, but it's an external, let's say, rehab center. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Always great to have you on. Uh, So you must get lots more calls in January, I guess? Um, Our experience is no, not necessarily. Um, We get a lot of calls towards the end of December that have a lot more intensity because of the pressures of being with family and being off work and different stressors like that. Um, But uh, no, it's kind of quiet. At the at the beginning of January, I'm surprised. I'm actually really surprised at that. I thought that people would be making these resolutions to get better, to kick something that they recognize as not good for them. Yeah, and then they can probably go for a few days or a week or even <laughs> two weeks, and then maybe they get the calls at that point. So you think that people are trying to kick their habit or their or handle their addiction on their own and then realize, uh-oh, like this is bigger than me, this is something that I actually need help with? Well, we hope so. Um, but, um, you know, stopping is not 
necessarily, you know, going to be a tough thing. It's staying stopped. Right. That is the real challenge. So stopping because you're making a resolution is is not unusual, and it's not necessarily a sign that you don't have an addiction. Um, it's it's uh, what the question is. You know, how many times have you tried to stop? Hmm. Right. So let's start looking at identifying problem behavior because. It's very rare that I've met somebody who I believe, let's say, was possibly an alcoholic, admit to being an alcoholic or thinking that their their either drinking behavior or drug use was actually a problem or an addiction. So how do you identify that in, in yourself? When do you start? What do you look for to say, okay, this is an addiction? So there's a few ideas um, from our experience we see that addiction could be um, the central organized principle of a person's day. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're drinking the whole day, but it might mean that you're thinking about drinking, thinking about when you would drink, how you would drink, where you're going to hide the bottle. Then uh, could, that could be going on for a day or two or even three. That's, and then that's called preoccupation. And then you get into ritualization, which is then you maybe go and buy a bottle. You might call uh, uh, head to work to say you're not coming in. You might you're planning it. You're actually doing different things. That's the ritual. Mm-hmm. And then you're acting out. You're drinking. You're using. However, you're going to uh, self sabotage. You're involved in the actual act. And then after that, you're feeling guilt and shame, which is almost impossible to sustain. Uh, for for somebody who has that type of intense self-loathing. And then you start again with the preoccupation. So it's a central organizing principle of a person's life, actually. Right. And and that's unlike a bad habit. I mean, that's, a, you know, a bad habit. You, you want to break. You you might try. You might, you know, get success. Yeah, but it's not something you're constantly involved in either planning, doing, or feeling bad about. It's when it literally kind of takes over your life. However, I want to bring this up. Like, let's say you don't drink during the week, but uh, you look forward to Friday when work lets out and you spend your weekend drinking. But in your head, you're like, well, it's the weekend. It's relaxed time. I'm not an alcoholic because I only drink on the weekend. Yeah, so I think that's an important thing to understand. It's not about frequency necessarily, Uh, you know, because there is such a thing as binge drinking and that definitely could be an addictive type of behavior and binge drinking doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it every day. It could be every week or every few weeks. And, uh, and then you have that weekend, you know, a 48 hour or whatever it is. So it's frequency is a lot of times what feeds denial. You know, I'm not right. doing it every day. So it, it's really about a relationship you're having with a behavior. So and how many times we've heard that people remember, realize they're choosing the cocaine, or even the alcohol, or whatever, over their job, over their family, um, you know. Th- so it's the relationship you have with that particular um, problematic way of um, coping. I'm listening yeah. to you talk, and I and and it can be applied. What you're saying can be applied to any, whether it's a substance or whether it's an action like uh, like a sex addiction. It's the Absolutely. same thing. Yeah, it's not. It's not about the chemical, it's about the reaction of the brain to the chemical. 
right? So it's not about the behavior. It's really about what's going on in a person's psyche, in a person's soul, in a person's physical. It's all, it's really the relationships that we have to be able to look at. And it's really hard because we're in the relationship and it's very hard to see it from an outside objective perspective. And I think that's why, you know, people say, people will ask, do you think it's an addiction? And I, I would say that somebody who's really seriously asking that question, there's a reason enough to get an assessment, to get to go through an intake, to make a phone call, right. um, you know, because the people who who aren't, they're not necess- they're not thinking like that. Um, right. And 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 then the difference also between uh, a, a bad be- a bad habit is consequences. That's the key. Is is when you start to lose things, whether right. it's you know a job or relationships or money or physical well being, and continue nevertheless. Right. That's that's really where we start to get people calling, and when they are calling and they're coming in that very day, we don't have a waiting list. Um, they're coming in usually because there was a significant consequence. They got busted, they got caught, or they lost a job, or they didn't pay. Something came up, and that's one of the questions we ask in our intake right now is like, why now? Right. It's like hitting the bottom of the barrel. It's really when you're saying, I've hit rock bottom. That's when a a truly bad consequence has taken place. We're talking with Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger. He is the director of Chabad Lifeline. It's an addiction center. It's open to the entire Montreal community that offers all kinds of services with no waiting list, which not too many people can say that. That's great. Uh, Lots of people on staff to help. Uh, So how does the – so I'm I'm thinking about the process. Process now. Somebody calls in, they they think they might have an addiction. As you say, if you're already making the phone call and you think, it's probably likely you've experienced some kind of consequence that is harmful to you. So the first step is the intake. Um, and the intake is what? So an intake would be set up. We had today, we had um, three people called and three people came in before the end of the day. Okay. It's, they're, they're coming into a home. We had the setting. You've been there, Dr. Laurie. Yep. So you know it's a, it's a very comfortable, non-judgmental, safe-feeling place. You're coming into that environment. That alone helps with the process. And then they're going to they're gonna meet with uh, an intake counselor who's an addiction counselor, and they're going to go through a, a pretty in, I wouldn't say the word intense, but maybe a thorough, comprehensive mm-hmm. uh, screening. So unlike possibly other places, or forget about other places, what we do that really works is we ask the person questions that that really are telling. So it's not just you're drinking or you're drugging, or but we talk about what's your relationship with uh, eating, what's your relationship with something called codependency, what's your relationship with pornography, what's... You know, we, we did a training at one of the universities and um, with the counselors and the, count, and the counseling center, and they said we don't dare ask certain questions because we wouldn't know what to do with the answer. Right, right. So we're asking the questions, and, and God, you know, God willing, with the right atmosphere and the right um, feelings we're trying to, you know, open up, get a person to feel in a safe place, they're going to start to see things, hopefully, that they never, they didn't really connect to their self-sabotaging behavior they're coming in for. Right. And, and what's interesting is sometimes you see multiple 
addictions in the same per in the same person. So somebody may be coming in with say a, a drug addiction and through the questions, because you're asking about their relationship to sexuality, their relationship to porn and all of that, that you end up discovering other addictions. Right. And, and so for instance, with porn addiction or sex addiction, cocaine is, is very much uh, a partner in that type right. of addiction. Um, and, and then you have uh, eating, uh, many times is associated with codependency, let's say, and uh, things come up where, yeah, I, I think it's a majority, uh, more than 50% of people who are coming in do not have one particular only uh, um, mm -hmm. issue that they, it doesn't mean they're going to have to deal with them all at once. They probably shouldn't, right? right. So there's, there's a process, and the process starts with the intake, and then from there, we're going to get back to them within usually two days because we have our clinical meetings Monday and Wednesday. So we're going to go through the intakes. A team of nine professionals are going to go around and talk about each intake that came up. And then we're going to call a person back. And by the way, we make a crazy, uh, bold promise. We mm. say that once you come through our door, you'll never have to be alone again. And the way we it. can say that, is because we have such a, a community of people in recovery that we've helped that are in the city that are willing to come right away. That's and amazing. Take this person out for dinner, take this person out for lunch, coffee, bring them to a 12-step meeting, which is a major part. Right. Of we'll what we'll we get do. to that, and I, I'm looking forward to talking about the 12-step program and the groups and uh, talking about partners and what partners partners can do and families can do. All of that we'll discuss uh, with Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger, the director of Chabad. Lifeline, uh, but first we're going to check in with our CJAD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Straight talk that's all inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Tonight we focus on addictions, all kinds, but really what do they all have in common? Uh, we talked about uh, the preoccupation, the ritualization, the acting out, the guilt, the shame, the self-loathing, the, co the negative consequences. And that's true of all addictions, whether it's uh, drinking, drugs, or sex addiction. Uh, joining us tonight to discuss this is uh, Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger. He is the director of uh, Chabad Lifeline. It's an addiction center that's open to the entire Montreal community that offers uh, counseling, uh, group work, individual therapy, group therapy, 12-step programs, and that work with all the different addictions, including uh, sex addiction. Uh, Robert Bressinger, how do we start the, so the process of sobriety? We talked about the, the intake, which is very comprehensive, thorough evaluation of the situation. What's the next step? What would the person expect next? So uh, usually a real sense of relief because uh, so many times a person's uh, telling on themselves for the very first time. And we're as sick as our secrets. Mm. So once we're able to connect with somebody that we feel safe enough with to share something we haven't shared that we're sure we're going to take to our grave, there is usually a, a tremendous sense of relief along with, of course, the fear of what's next and how right. can I let go? How can I let go of my very best friend, which is my addictive behavior, which has been with me and protecting me for so many years. Right. But after that, they're going to uh, be called within a day or two usually, and they're called back in for a uh, treatment plan. 
and uh, we're going we're gonna to walk people through the process of recovery, which would include uh, them going to 12-step meetings. Okay. There's an entire community of support that's free, that's available out there. And by the way, at this point, anybody who comes in for an intake or treatment plan, uh, youth, adults, families, um, there was no charge. We raised money from private resources to be able to have this service for the community. That's amazing. Yeah, so then they get their treatment plan, and um, and that's something that we're we're doing through motivational interviewing. You know, we're talking to a person, okay, so, so what are you willing, what do you want um, to put into this? And we want to make sure that, that we're not working harder than the person coming in. Right. Um, they, need, they need to want it, and that might take some time, right? That might take something to, to work with people, and, and then they're going to go to the treatment plan. A typical treatment plan would be something like go to three uh, 12-step meetings that week, possibly get assigned attendance from there. We're going to possibly give you a, a, a um, urine test to uh, go and take at a local laboratory, um, and then uh, it could, it's individual counseling. We have group counseling, groups on site, and uh, we're going to we're going to be with you uh, in a way that's going to have you feel surrounded by healthy people and healthy activities. So that allows a person to kind of uh, move to the next step, which is really to to start to trust. Because addiction is really about it's that trust muscle somehow along the line has been snipped. It's, mm-hmm. it's just that that has to be reconnected. And this is why, of course, therapy is so important. When you talk about counseling, the, the individual counseling, I think it's it's as important, sometimes if not more, than the twelve step program because you need to get to the root cause. You know, I, our our experience is well. First, we have a a, a lot of people who, well-meaning therapists, um, highly trained, uh, professional therapists who've been in the field a long time, they're missing, the, they're missing the point. So a person's coming in, and if they're not discussing the addiction, uh, the therapist might not even go there. And if they do, a therapist might not really understand the process of, uh, of what it takes at least from our experience, to enter into recovery. So you're right. It's the counseling in a proper counseling, but we see that accompanied by, because addiction we've talked about is, a, is the disconnect. Right. So connecting with others, creating a certain intimacy that's, that's, that helps a person feel not, you know, feel connected, um, that can really only come through a group. That's not necessarily going to come through individual counseling. So, and we want to make sure there's a period of time where there is sobriety before you can get into any of the deeper right. things that are going on. That makes sense. You want to get to a, a little bit of a stable spot before you can dig. and Because often uh, therapy, when you, when you go deeper and start looking at people's traumas, could trigger more of that anxiety, more of the stuff that led them to the to the behavior in the first place. And also they're dealing with drunk people. So it's one thing if a person comes there smelling of alcohol, he can't oh, no. walk straight. No. Of course not. You can't right? work that's, with that's them, given. no. You don't, right. you, don't ther- you don't have therapy. What if a person was busy with pornography in a, in, to a place where they're really out of their minds in a certain sense? They're drunk. So the person's going to come in and start working on issues when he's drunk from whatever he's been doing. Right. That's a key component of, of knowing 
when to be able to address certain things. And that's where there's time, especially, like you said, if you're going to get involved in trauma work, um, then that's got to have to be a period of time of sobriety and, and, and well-being enough to be able to go there. Yeah, I know that as a therapist myself, I often, um, I won't work with somebody unless they're in another program. Like once they're involved in a, in a program, like a 12-step program or some kind of addiction program, then I can, I can work with them. But before that, like you said, it's, it's, you're just not getting to, you won't get to what you need to get to. It's too difficult to to work that if that is that piece isn't taken care of. So working it within a multidisciplinary uh, approach is really important. So 12 step on its own may not be enough, but at your center, of course, you have, you have so many different people involved with the group and family work and individual work and couple work. And like, you've taken the whole person. Right. Right. And we've made a, a real, um, emphasis especially in the last year on on youth um you know we have a contract now thank god with the english school of montreal where we're in 15 different schools with uh youth counselors um we've hired five new people to be doing just that and what we're seeing more and more as we meet with parents like the schools have given us opportunity to have parents be part of uh, some sort of evening. And the questions that we're always getting from parents has very little to do with addiction and more to do with parenting right. in general. And uh, so we're seeing a real need. We're, we're starting a parent support group in the evening uh, starting January 14th because we see parents are so concerned, especially with what they're calling now screen-agers. <laughs> I like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, screen addicts. They're addicts. Could be, or on the continuum, could yeah. be, but it's definitely worrying uh, parents, and they don't know uh, how to deal, and so that makes sense. So there you want to have a facilitator with other parents who are dealing with similar situations, so there's a, a certain support there in, in really about making decisions, sticking by decisions, what to be aware of, learning from others, how they've dealt with it. Probably the hardest relationships in the world is good, is between a parent and a child, of course. a child and a parent, and we shouldn't think that we can take care of all of this uh, on our own. Right. Because, you know. Absolutely. Our guest is Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger, the director of Chabad Lifeline. I'm glad you're in the schools because often these behaviors, addictive behaviors, start early, and this is uh, really important for prevention. And now we're seeing, at least I'm seeing, more and more young people who are addicted to things on screen, whether it's uh, video games, but also the more dangerous kinds of addiction like uh, pornography addiction. So, And this yeah. is something we're seeing in younger people. We got a text in that says, when does one know they are addicted to pornography? And we can go back to what we said in the beginning. What are some of the elements that talk about uh, or that point to an addiction? Right. Yeah, we're, right. ta- we're talking about preoccupation mm-hmm. uh, with something. We're talking about that feeling of losing that control. Uh, not all. It's not. And with porn addiction, it often is about how much time you spend on that. I think, uh, but also what it does to you and what it do- the consequences to your relationships. Right, and secrets start to come in. You're 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 being secretive where you might not have been in the past. Um, you're, you, it's it's affecting your 
I know with students in universities, for instance, sometimes they'll come in for counseling centers for depression, and uh, and it's a lack of sleep. And it, you know, and then when they come, why aren't they sleeping? So what are they doing all night? These right. are the kind of things that a person has to look for. There's a change, uh, change in mood, change in activities, the hobbies that once were no longer exist because one is so focused on on whatever, whether mm-hmm. it's porn addiction or whatever. And, and you know, it's porn especially. Is is really says so much about what addiction could be because it's about like we said intimacy. They call it an intimacy cripple. Yeah. So a person who, for whatever reason, has been burnt along the way with relationships that that could have been um, solid and helped them through life, they weren't necessarily, and now they're finding that intimacy, what seems to be intimacy, by watching. Uh, things that they see a connection, they see something's going on there, and it's really driving a person deeper and deeper into themselves and further and, and further away, away from them. others, right, that, yeah, that disconnect. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about that because I think a lot of people have questions about where do you draw the line between simply watching uh, occasionally or even daily, and when does it become uh, an actual addiction to pornography. That's coming up next with Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger, the director of Chabad Lifeline. It's Sex Out loud and you're welcome to listen in passion on cjad 800 we're talking about addictions tonight all kinds of addictions uh, but so many they have a lot of things in common whether it's sex addiction or uh, some kind of drug addiction my guest tonight is rabbi benjamin bressinger he's the director of chabad lifeline and addiction center dealing with all kinds of addiction including uh, sex addiction, and I got this off the website, so I'm going to share it to, for our listener, uh, a self-assessment for sex addiction, so to help you understand if um, uh, your behavior might be addictive, because, listen, if we look at just pornography use, we know that um, millions upon millions of people are watching pornography on a regular basis, but not everybody is addicted. So uh, here are some things to consider. Are you con- Concerned about your sexual behavior? Have you lied to others in order to conceal your behavior? Have you made efforts to stop, reduce, or control these behaviors? Has anyone ever complained or been concerned about your sexual behavior? Have you continued these behaviors in spite of negative consequences? And have you had to increase the number or type of sexual behavior in order to achieve the same effect? So if you answered yes, to any of those, then you may have a problem with pornography. And of course, we know uh, for uh, porn addicts, it's kind of like the the crack cocaine of of sex addiction because it's quick, it's uh, easy to get, it's inexpensive, um, and you can do it secretly because it's something that you do generally in uh, in private. So I hope that helps the person who uh, who wrote in about that. Anything you want to add to that, uh, Rabbi Bressinger? What a fantastic questionnaire. What did you get that from? I got it from HabadLifeline.com. Okay. Yeah. You liked it? I do, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, so I, that, I, that's the website for people to uh, to check out and get more information. I I would add that um, think, about, think about having a drug dealer who has billions and billions of dollars invested in getting people addicted to drugs. So you have a complete industry that's purpose 
is not only to get more and more users, but in a certain sense, you see a lot of that is getting people to see younger and younger things. So, you know, the, the porn industry is, is unlike the local dealer. The local dealer doesn't have that kind of sophistication of money behind them. Right. So, yeah, a person could be casually watching, but they got to realize there's an entire psychology behind getting them to watch more, getting them to watch more uh, um, drastic or more intense things sicker things and uh, and then we have problems we see they become younger and younger in what is triggering them and, that's yeah uh, that that is the problem but I I don't really want to get into a whole discussion about pornography simply because the in comparison the numbers of addicts versus the number of users it's still relatively small if you look at the uh, at the research but Nonetheless, it is a problem, and it has become more of a problem as we have uh, easier access to it on your smartphone. Like there was a time where you had to go searching for stuff. You you don't need to search anymore. It's right there. And my worry is for youth who don't know, who are looking at this and, and doing things to the brain, a young, underdeveloped brain who cannot make sense of the difference between reality and fantasy and then could easily fall into a pattern of addiction simply to get away from whatever things are happening in their lives and and stressors Can- that's why for youth especially for youth filters are not going to be the the 100 percent solution effective that's right but they're absolutely essential if you imagined your kid has a room with a door to the outside and you have no idea who's coming in and out of their room right that's what it is when a kid is on their in their room with their own internet access. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and and that this is where we need to teach parents about porn literacy as well, media literacy and what they can do. And there are it is limited what can be done, but at least put in the basics and whatever and, and can you know, be the, done. The very, very basic is always gonna be about creating a relationship with your children where they feel safe to come to, to come you. and talk to you about these things. Absolutely. That's the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's the biggest challenge, right? I mean that's not a simple thing, but that's really the challenge of parenting. Absolutely. So just moving to the spouse now, how does how do we deal with the spouse? How does addiction affect the spouse and what is the spouse's role or the partner's role in the in their partner's recovery, so they they call it crazy making. Okay, meaning that a a person who is involved with addictive behaviors, because of the need to cover up, to manipulate, to lie, they they can make a spouse crazy. They can rob them of their own sanity. And, and that's probably the greatest betrayal you can, you can inflict on somebody else. Mm-hmm. So the spouse, a big part of what we do, and, you know, Karen is the, is the family counselor at our center, and she's busy, busy um, with what? With helping spouses and parents and kids of people with addiction try to learn boundaries, try, right. to, uh, try to secure their own sane thinking because it's been taken from them. And that's a, a very tough thing, and a big part of that is having you take focus off of the addict and look at your own uh, way of interacting with your own world. Right. And so that's really essential. And then getting in together. I mean, we have family group 
Uh, we have one during the day, and we're starting one at night now because of its need, where they're sitting with other family members and talking about how to react to those people in their life that are making them crazy. Right. And, and, and hearing that from another parent or another spouse, is, is, is better or maybe more effective than hearing it from a clinician. Okay. I have one last question for you, Rabbi. Um, the uh, rehab centers, like what is the role of a, like an, uh, a rehab center where you go in versus a, a, a center like yours that's an, uh, le, let's say, outpatient, for lack of a better word? Right. So I'll talk to our experience. So this is not, you know, this is based on, being involved in this type of work for for a few decades. And what we're seeing is a small percentage of the people that come through our place will need inpatient. Okay. Um, You know, there's there's definitely those who need detox in certain substances. And certainly if you have a problem uh, with alcohol, uh, don't quit, uh, you know, right away. That's a dangerous thing. So there has to be a period of, of winging off the alcohol. And that's medically okay. needed. But um, rehabs in general, um, they could be very, very effective, um, especially helping with tra- trauma work. Uh, you know, it's effective. you want to get triggered in a rehab. It's like having a heart attack in, in a hospital, room. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's it. But but we our experience is no, we can ha- we can offer a pretty um, thorough, comprehensive outpatient treatment. and um, But there are those who will relapse and relapse and relapse, and then you got to look at what's, what works, and that might be an option, and we can help with that too. We have connections with rehabs, um, and not only that, but many times we'll help a person get into a rehab, and if there is a waiting period, which usually there is, we're going to be with them. Okay. Until then, right? So there's that. So you have to consider the the detox part of it as well when you're looking at a rehab center which is contained and you live there. That would be important for detoxing. Yeah, but very, but very few um, substances. uh, You know, you need. You know, when it comes to opiate addiction, you you might need medical supervision. When it comes to alcohol, depending on the amount, but comes to behavioral. You don't have to go through a physical necessarily a right. physical detox. You you have to deal with the abstinence, which is going to definitely trigger lots of different reactions that are going to be tough and to deal emotions. with, but not in the same way as you know alcohol or absolutely. Uh, Rabbi uh, Bressinger, now if people want to get in touch with uh, with Lifeline or need help or have questions uh, about uh, all these addictions, where can they reach you? At Chabad, C-H-A-B-A-D, lifeline.com, or they can call us at 514. You forgot your number? <laughs> no, I'm giving time. <laughs> I'm giving time. Uh, 514-738-7700. Okay. And, and, uh, and it's really a non-committal type of call or email just make that start, and especially if you're dealing with family members, know that we have support for you, irregardless of whether or not the family member comes. And uh, we're here for the whole community, and our commitment is when you come through the door, you'll never have to be alone, alone again. again. Right, and and it's uh, uh, very affordable. 
<laughs> considering I, yeah. it's nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I promise a lot of our volunteers who come in and they're volunteering, I promise them they do such a good job, we're going to double their pay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, you do great work. I'm, I've always been thoroughly impressed. I've always supported uh, Chabad Lifeline. I think it's a, a, a fabulous organization that helps the community at large, and I thank you for it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to be with us tonight, Rabbi Benjamin. You're welcome. Take Thanks care. For having me. All right. Bye bye. Once again, that's uh, ChabadLifeline.com or 514-738-7700. If uh, you are suffering and you want some help, you have some questions, whether you are an addict yourself or you are the partner of uh, one or family member, they can uh, they can help you out. Uh, that's it for me. That's it for us. So thank you so much for tuning in to Passion. Thanks to our technical producer, Dave Simon. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or my website website at drlaurie.com. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.